0: Alrighty, righty, Timothy chapter 3. Now, I run into this a lot out here at church. I'll get done with the message. I'll get done with the lesson. And someone will come up and say something to me afterwards along the lines of, did my wife tell you to teach on that? Or um, were you in her house this week or something like that? And I always say no. But for the right price, I will fit any point you want into a lesson. So... But this, because everybody, that's the way the Holy Spirit works, is is once you get done uh, hopefully hearing God's word being taught, that the Lord says, okay, this is what you're supposed to take out of it. This is what applies to you in your life. And hopefully the blessing that comes out of that. Well, I will tell you this. There's going to be nobody more convicted today than myself with this lesson. Because First Timothy 3 deals with the role of leadership in the church and the responsibilities that God has placed on that, the spiritual responsibilities. Now, for some of you may be sitting there thinking, good. I can take this lesson off. I don't have a leadership position in the church. No, that's not necessarily true. This whole chapter deals with also traits that our every Christian should strive for to go. Now, there are certain things that I feel are more related to maybe the role of the pastor, etc., and, and I'll highlight those, but overall, this whole lesson is also how we're supposed to act as believers, as men and women, in the eyes of God. In fact, one of the men's studies that we just went through a couple books ago basically took this list here in 1 Timothy 3 and also Titus chapter 2, and the whole book was just about how are men supposed to be, the measure of a man. And so as you go through this, for guys and gals, for leaders, this is us. This is how we're supposed to be. And I do want to share this too. One of the little catchphrases that we like to say out here at Harvest is, every member is a minister. That term minister has come to mean pastor in today's society. And that's not what that word literally means. To minister literally means to serve. So therefore, every one of us has a ministry that God has given us. We're all called to serve someplace. So therefore, if we're all called to serve, that means we're all involved in ministry. And I want you to be praying about that as we go through this lesson today. Is where has God called me to serve? Because I firmly do believe this. The pillows of our faith, and we've been talking about this as we go through the book of 1 Timothy, is God has called us to have an element of fellowship, an element of prayer, an element of being in his word, and evangelism, and service. There's an element of all those things that are supposed to be there. And a lot of times as Christians, we lack in some of those. And if you don't have an area where you serve, this is not a lesson to get you to sign up to help here or there. It's a lesson to say, I want everything that Christ has for you. And part of your Christian walk is serving it, working out those, those spiritual muscles and strengthening those areas. And boy, you'll be blessed. There's no doubt about that. So with that being said, let's jump right into this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now that word bishop... It seems like the New Testament uses the words interchangeably of elder, bishop, even pastor to some extent. That word literally is in the Greek episkopa, where you get the phrase episcopalians, if you've ever wondered. It literally means officer. We're talking about leadership here, the leadership of the church. And God says if you desire that, that's a good word. One thing I've noticed is this. I think almost every time a a guy gets saved, the first thing he always wants to do is be the pastor. People always want to be the pastor. I don't know if it's because you're the one standing up in front of people, you're the one that gets seen the most, I don't know. God says that's a great work. If that's what you desire, it's a great work. But you also have to understand the full context of everything there. First thing first as you look at this, look at that last word, it's work. How often do we forget this as Christianity? Ministry is work. Ministry is a sacrifice, ministry is messy, ministry is tough. Once again, some people may be saying, well, that's why I'm not in the ministry. We're all in the ministry. We're all ministers. We've all been called to serve in some capacity. So therefore, we are all asked to make sacrifices. It's going to be messy. It's going to be tough. Christianity is a lot of work. There's no way around that. And that's why God says you should desire it. That word desire means more than just want it. It literally means to stretch oneself. Meaning God says, if you're going to get into the ministry, if you're going to serve the body of Christ, you're going to stretch yourself past what you're normally doing. Your comfort zone is going to broaden, if not just totally explode. Because there's going to be so many things that you thought, well, I can't do that, I'm not good at that. God says, I will bless you with that, I'll give you the strength to do that. So often when it comes to ministry and service, we have a whole list of why we can't. God says, you can, because I can empower you to do that, I'll give you the strength to do that. It means stretching yourself. A lot of times as Christians, we serve until it hurts, and then once it starts to hurt, we stop. God says, I want you to stretch yourself past that. Jesus set the example of it. The Bible says, while he was on the cross, he endured the shame. He stretched himself. For Christ on the cross, ministry was literally a sacrifice. It was messy and it was tough. But the Bible also says, for the joy that was set before him, he did that. Don't be afraid in Christianity to get your hands dirty. That's what God has called us to do. It is work. But what type of work is it? It's a good work. Well, that's a, that's a decent translation. Some of your translations also translate it. It's a noble work. It's an honorable work. My favorite, it literally means it's a beautiful, precious work. I like that translation. Ministry is a beautiful, precious thing. It's wonderful. There, there is nothing more amazing than doing something that spiritually changes somebody for the rest of their life. To make an eternal difference. We have to get that mindset that it makes an eternal difference in their lives. God has made a difference in your life, so therefore you want to go make a difference in other people's life. Now, this is not a pep talk to go do that, because to be quite honest, if we have to have a rally to get people out there to want to go spread the gospel, then to be quite honest, the gospel hasn't really penetrated you that deeply. Because when the gospel penetrates you deeply, you just want to tell people about Christ and what he's done. When the gospel penetrates you deeply, you want to get out there and serve and make a difference in people's lives. You don't have to be pushed. If the Lord has done something amazing in your life, then you want to go tell other people about it. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, God hasn't done anything amazing in my life. If you're born again and saved in Christ, that's the most amazing thing that's ever happened to you. The most amazing thing is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And so therefore, it is a work, it's effort, it's blood, sweat, and tears. It's a desire. We stretch ourselves to do it, but it's a beautiful honorable, precious thing to make a difference for all of eternity. And you know what? It's hard to say no to. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, he goes, woe to me if I do anything else other than preach the gospel. Paul says, I I have to. I heard a pastor one time at a pastor's conference say, if you can do anything else, he's talking to pastors, if you can do anything else other than being a pastor, then obviously God hasn't called you. Because if he's called you to be a pastor, you can't help but do it because that's what the Lord's leading you to do. There's such a calling and desire. Trust me, there's times out here over 12 years I've been out here as the pastor, I've wanted to quit and I've wanted to be done, and you can't. Because God says, this is where I've put you, this is where I've called you. It is a glorious, honorable, precious thing to serve, but it's also work. We have to remember that. We have to remember when it comes to that. So, with that introduction... What is the description that God has given us for the type of leaders that we're supposed to have, but also for us all as a Christian? Well, let's look at this verse, two. It says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Now, quite a little list there. Let's just break these down real quick. Look at the first one. A bishop then must be blameless. Blameless means nothing sticks to you. I like to call that Teflon Christianity. People like to look at you. They want to say something bad about you, but they can't. They can't think of something bad to say. Now, they can maybe make up a lie, but there's not something they can say. Now, no, blameless does not mean sinless. It does not mean perfect. It just means that you're living the life for the Lord, and things don't stick to you because you're blameless in that area there. Look at the next one. Husband of one wife. Now that's one that's caused a lot of debate over the years. A lot of debate over the years. So some people take that to mean the idea of marriage there, obviously. But if you take that to literally mean the husband of one wife, the problem is, does that mean a pastor can't be a pastor unless he's married? That word literally means one woman man. That's what that word literally means, that phrase, literally one woman man. And for anybody that's gone through the men's study out here, they know that back during Bible times, a man in the leadership position back there had three women in his life. He had his wife, his mistress, and his concubine. And that was just considered acceptable and okay. So when Paul is writing this 2,000 years ago through the Spirit, he's telling the Christian leaders in the church, he says, Guys, no, that's not what you do. You're literally a one-woman man. Literally a one-woman man that is your wife and your wife only. That's the importance of that, is understanding that role of the husband and the wife. Literally a one-woman man. Next word there, temperate. Temperate means balanced, balanced. You see, a lot of times, Christians don't have much balance in their walk with the Lord. Emotions get the best of them. When everything's going great, God is great, he's wonderful. But as soon as things get bad, well, what difference does it make? Why pray? What difference is it? They get themselves in these deep, dark pits of discouragement. God says, no, as Christians, we're supposed to be temperate, well-balanced. We realize there's going to be good days, we realize there's going to be bad days. When the days are good, we give God the glory and we're thankful for those good days. When the days are bad, we realize we don't let those pits of despair and discouragement and depression get the best of us. A lot of times I see these Christians have these horrible swings of emotion. It's not the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be temperate. We're supposed to be balanced, realizing our life is based on eternity, not based on the circumstances of life. How many times have you heard us say this out here? Keep your eyes on the Savior, not on your circumstances and situation. If you keep your eyes on the situation, you will go through these horrible ups and downs in life. If you keep your eyes on the Savior, you will be temperate and well-balanced. The next one, sober-minded. That word literally means having a seriousness about it. Now, we have a lot of fun out here. I don't think that pastors need to be to the point of so serious you can't joke and laugh. I've met some pastors like that, and they're real drag to be around. They're not much fun at all. But there's also a seriousness about what we do. We're dealing with heaven, and we're dealing with hell. That's a pretty serious thing. And so therefore, as a believer, when you go out there and live your life, you're supposed to be sober-minded on the seriousness of what you're doing. If you have unsafe friends and loved ones, if they die, they're going to hell. Now, God doesn't want that. So we have a seriousness about the work that we do to say, Lord, I am concerned about them, and I have my focus on them. I'm sober-minded. I'm serious of that. Next one's pretty self-explanatory, good behavior. Hospitable, you open your house up, you open your life, your possessions, everything, it's not yours, it's the Lord. Able to teach, able to teach. This is a big one. Now, talking about as the role of of a pastor first, you first want your pastor to be able to explain God's Word. I've sat under a lot of teachings. I've seen teachings where it's like, I don't understand anything that he said just because it's not a coherent message. And I've also sat under teachings where there was no application or points. There was a lot of wisdom and intelligence, but you walk out of there saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? To me, one of the key parts about teaching is to make it applicable, That when you leave this building, you can say, hey, I want to take what I learned today to take me deeper in my walk with Jesus Christ and to be able to go out and make a difference in my life and my family and where I work. And to be able to, as the Bible says, rightly divide the word of truth. Have an understanding of God's word. Now, as believers, you're also supposed to know God's word. I see too many times as Christians, someone comes up and asks a question and they don't know the elemental fundamentals of the faith. I believe that all believers should have an understanding of God's Word, of salvation, and of the Scriptures. Now, there may be some questions that come up that are kind of deep and tough, and you may say, hey, you know what, let me go ask my pastor about that, or you know what, you need to go talk to James or Rich or Renee or something about that. But as believers, we should have a good understanding of just the elements of the faith. Now, why is teaching such a big deal? Because teaching is, you have a deeper spiritual responsibility. It says in the book of James, chapter 4, Verse 1, it says, not let many of you become teachers because you'll receive a stricter judgment. that's a pretty big warning verse. When I die and stand before the Lord, I have to give an account of how I took care of my wife, how I took care of my family, and also how I took care of you guys. There's a spiritual responsibility for you guys as I teach you guys. God is basically saying, just don't teach it, but you also have to live it. The teaching part is the fairly easy part. It's the living it that makes it tough. I've said up here numerous times, the biggest hypocrite in this church is me. I'm the one up here standing behind the pulpit saying, do this, do this, do this. I struggle with sin nature just like anybody else. So therefore, we want to make sure that as the leadership, that they're not only teaching it, but also living the life as well. And that's what this whole package is. And and if you teach in some capacity in this church, be it the kids or a discipleship or a Bible study group, this is not a verse to scare you, but it's a verse that God is trying to say, hey, You have a big responsibility as you are teaching other people about the Lord to make sure that you're doing it properly and and correctly, but also living the life yourself, too. Like I said, a lot of these are straightforward. Let's go to the next one. Not given to wine. Now, warning, personal opinion. When I read through this, not given to wine, the way I take this personally for me as a pastor is I believe as a pastor that I should not drink at all, and I don't drink in any way whatsoever. So... I personally believe that that verse is telling us as pastors to not give ourselves over to wine and not drink. It says in the book of Proverbs 31 that it's not for kings and those in leadership to drink because what happens is they get intoxicated with that stuff and therefore they can't lead. Can you imagine calling your pastor at 10 o'clock at night and you're going through a tough situation and the pastor says, you know what, now's really a really good time. I had a few too many this evening. Can you call me back tomorrow? No, that's not the type of pastor you want. Or can you imagine having a situation pop up where the pastor needs to run to the emergency room? The pastor says, well, you know what? I drank a couple tonight, so I probably shouldn't be out on the road. That's not the type of pastor you want. So I take verse 3, not give to wine. I don't want to give myself over to wine. I don't drink. Look at the next ones here. Not violent and jump ahead, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Now, wouldn't you think that those shouldn't have to be in there for a pastor? I mean, isn't that just simple, straightforward, understanding me? You have to tell a pastor to not be violent, but to be gentle and to not be quarrelsome? You would think that that's pretty simple, straightforward, Right? Well, the truth of the matter is, looking at some of the people I'll have to work with and deal with, you could see how you could become violent and quarrelsome. (laughs) And I will be honest, there are times in in the years that I've been out here, you can get frustrated with situations. People come in and they lay into the pastor. Well, what's human nature? When someone lays into you, what do you want to do? Well, you just want to give it right back to them. Now, there's been times, honestly, no joke, I have screwed up and I've deserved that. But there's other times, too, where people are just taking it out on the pastor because the pastor is the punching bag. And boy, your flesh starts boiling up. You want to say something, you want to respond, and you got to think of that, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, because that's not the type of leader you want to be. You don't want to resort to that flesh. You don't want to resort to that violence with that. You would say, well, once again, why does that have to be in there? Because we're humans. It's amazing. This has happened out here numerous times. Sam will come up and say, Pastor James, you're the greatest pastor ever, greatest church ever. I'm always thinking, yeah, you don't know us that well. Because here's the thing, you think we're wonderful that week. Next week we do something you don't like, and we're never coming back. That's just human nature. That's what we do. I've shared this story with you numerous times before in this joke, so forgive me for the repetition. I hate repeating jokes, but I love this story. This is so true of human nature. There was a man that was a castaway on an island, and finally the ship came to rescue him. As they came to rescue him, he was on the island all by himself, and the captain of the ship said, you're all by yourself on this island? The guy goes, yeah. And he goes, well, if you're all by yourself, why are there three separate huts? And he goes, well, the first hut is my house, the second hut is my church, and the third hut is the church I used to go to. <laughs> now, is that not human nature? And our McDonald's fast food society, instead of working through issues a lot of times, we just jump ship and go. There's certain times you have to. Theological differences, I understand that there's certain times where there's just not truth, and you say, I have to let this go and go to a church that's teaching the truth. But a lot of times, human nature gets the best of us, and this is why I think God is telling us as leaders here, verse 3, to not be violent, but to be gentle, to not be quarrelsome. Don't you see sometimes as you're reading through the gospel, can't you just see Jesus' blood start to boil a little bit? The Bible said he was meek, though. I mean, here they are beating him, whipping him, torturing him, and the Bible says he was like a sheep before the shearer, completely silent. That's the example that he gave us, and that's what God has asked of us, too, and we have to watch it. Now, once again, this is true for all believers, all believers. Now, this is, and you would say, once again, isn't this a fundamental point? For some people, it's not. I've heard people come up and say, well, he started saying something, I couldn't, just, I couldn't control myself. No. What's one of the fruits of the Spirit? In fact, the last fruit of the Spirit, self-control. You can control yourself. Well, he just started saying this, and I started saying that, and it just escalated. No, as believers, we don't allow things to escalate because we're not violent, we're not quarrelsome, and we're gentle. Does that mean we get walked on? course not but it means that we don't go down to their level when that type of threat and violence and fighting nothing good comes out of that in any way whatsoever we're above that there's a maturity there there's self-control look at the next one not greedy for money not covetous now one of the rules that we have out here at church and, and i think it's a great rule is i don't i don't do anything with the money I don't, I don't touch the money. I don't do anything with the counting of the money. If someone from the community calls and says, Hey, can you help us with this bill? Well, the first thing I always say is always says, I've got to check with the treasurer. I don't have the checkbook. I don't know what we have. I don't have any contact with the money, and that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not because there's a fear of me taking it, that's just accountability. How many times have you seen a ministry fall over money and finances? Best thing to do, for my personal opinion as a pastor and a leader, is stay away from the money people that know what they're doing. They're accountable. They're good at it. Let them take care of the money. I'll look at the budget reports and when we get, I'll look at the financial statements, but I don't want to do anything with the money. Sometimes people will come up and say, hey, I, I haven't seen Rose. Can you, um, uh, you know, give her this check? Or someone will say, hey, I got a Calvary order. Uh, can you give this money to Nancy? I hate it. <laughs> I, I don't want to be near it. I don't want to touch it. I don't like it. I don't want to be anywhere near that because human nature, you would hate to have something happen. and You would hate the church to be hurt by that type of uh, witness. Now, I'll be honest. I've seen pastors that are greedy and covetous. I have seen that. You've seen it too. It's a, it's a danger when they fall. And you've also seen the perception of that, which I think hurts the church. Just last Wednesday, we had a whole teaching in 2 Corinthians 8 9 about money. And we talked about how God's not broke. It's not that God wants your money. He just doesn't want you to want it. Now, I visited a church one time up in Toledo years ago, my wife and I did, and we, as we left the church, they had a pastor's parking lot right by, right right close to the, the door there. And, and I'm not exaggerating, as Dawn and I drove by, it was uh, BMW, BMW, Lexus, Lexus, Mercedes. So I put my application in at the church, and I didn't get hired. Um, but, but you see that perception perception, boy, I, you know, I, you just got to be careful about that. One, one last quick story about the money and the finances I've shared with you before. I, I took over out here and I still had one more year left of college. And so I, I finished up my college just to, you know, get it done, get the degree done, which kind of, as you guys know, my degree's in finance, <laughs> which is kind of funny since I don't touch the money. But... um so finishing up my degree, and we're down to our last class, our last semester, and our professor is talking to us, and he goes, you know, hey, you guys picked a great field, he said. He goes, because there's always going to be people that want to invest. There's always going to be the financial system. You guys have picked a great field to be in. He goes, you guys will do well financially, he was saying. And, and I kid you not, he made this comment. He goes, the only way you don't, won't do well is, he goes, if you guys go into the ministry. And I thought, I'm sitting right there, and I'm going into the ministry. Um. But I don't say that in a personal way because God has blessed us so much, I cannot stress to you enough. The Lord takes care of his children. He really, truly does. So you see this description here of what God is looking for out of a leader, but also a lot of attributes for us as Christians too. Let's go to the next one, verse 4. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That verse has always caused problems for me because there's this expectation that the pastor's kids are going to be the best, well-behaved kids in the church. They're going to know more scriptures than anybody. They probably won't walk. They'll just float everywhere they go because the Holy Spirit's around them or something like that. I don't know. The truth of the matter is I have four boys, and my four boys are all what? Sinners. They have sin nature, just like their mom, just like their dad. There's a sin nature. And so therefore, just as you guys go through the struggles of your family, we go through the struggles of our family of trying to raise them in a good, godly way. Now, I do believe it's important as a pastor to make sure they understand this idea of ministry and of the family. My priorities are very, very simple in life. Number one is Jesus Christ. Number two is my wife. Number three is my family. Number four is Harvest Fellowship Church. It's that simple. I can't be an effective pastor if I'm not a good father and a good husband. Marriage comes before ministry because my greatest ministry is my marriage and my family. I want to stress that again. I can't be a good pastor if I'm not a good father and a good husband. I've known a lot of people that want to be a good pastor, but they put their family on hold. That doesn't work. You have to make sure your greatest ministry is your family at home. Years ago, there was a guy that popped out here for a while, and he really wanted to be a pastor. So he came to me and told me that, and I sat down. We started going through this 1 Timothy 3, and he was really doing one-on-one discipleship with him. But the problem was his wife um, wasn't coming out here to church and wasn't involved with stuff, and he really wanted to be this church leader in this leadership position. So we got to this passage, and I said, you know what, your greatest ministry is your wife and family. You know Why don't you put the whole, quote-unquote, wanting to be a pastor on hold and focus on your wife and family? That's God's greatest ministry. Well, he tried that for a while, and he came back, and he said, forget that. He goes, I'm called to be a pastor. He goes, if my wife doesn't want to be involved with that, get along with that, she can just leave and go on. I said, man, right there, that shows you're not called to be a pastor. Because you have to realize your greatest ministry is your house and your home. It really is. That's where your main emphasis of ministry comes, and your main ministry of effectiveness will be there of taking care of your wife and family. Because you want that church leader that has that home life, as it says there, in order let's move on verse 6 not a novice not a new believer that's being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil it is easy to get prideful as a believer isn't it And not just as a pastor because you know what happens as a pastor i'm going to stand back there and i'm going to shake your hands as you guys leave and guess what's going to happen some of you are going to say oh that was a good message james really got a lot out of it and i'm thinking yeah i saw your sleep through most of it but thanks for saying anyway because there's some people that just say good job no matter what i say and it's easy to let that attention and that pride get the best of you. And you realize, no, this isn't about me. It's about the Lord. And it's not even in the role of pastors. anything in ministry. Oh, boy, you did a great job up there singing. Boy, you did a great job up there playing. Wow, you did a great job back in the classrooms. Boy, you did a great job doing this. It's not wrong to give compliments. It's not wrong to say thank you. But it's wrong to take that compliment and thank you. Put it into your heart and say, yeah, it's me. No, it's not me. Because what happens is we'll get puffed up with pride. Same thing that happened to Satan. We're all men and women serving the Lord, and we all battle the same things. None of us is a step above anybody else. We all serve together. That's the body, Christ. Verse seven. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Kind of a tough verse. And I'll give you an example of, of what I've seen that verse in action. Um, I knew of a, uh, a guy that was involved in ministry, and he literally poured everything he had into the ministry, what he was doing, the ministry that, that uh, he thought the Lord had given him. and I appreciated that and I respected that. The problem is, he poured everything he had into the ministry so much so to the point that he didn't pay his rent, and he didn't pay his bills. And so what happened is someone found out that I knew him, he didn't come out here to church, but I knew him, they contacted me, and they said, "Hey, can you go talk to this guy?" because he's not paying his rent, he's not paying his bills." So I went to him and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? He goes, oh, I just, you know, have such a calling and where God's leading, so we're pouring everything, we got into this. And we just know God's going to take care of stuff. And I I appreciate his faith, I appreciate his heart. But the truth of the matter is, as he was pouring everything he had into the ministry, his rent and bills were popping up, and what happened was, as it says in verse 7, his testimony was falling apart. The people that knew him didn't respect him. They didn't think that he had a great witness. Even though he had a great witness with that ministry, But his personal life was such a mess and in order that that personal witness of people that knew him said, yeah, that's a Christian. not even taking care of his stuff. So God is saying here as, as pastors, as leadership, and as Christians, all of us men and women, we need to have that testimony. A lot of times I have people come up to me. It's like, oh, I don't care what people think about me. To an element, I I don't care. I only care what God thinks about me. There's a lot of truth to that. I only care about what the Lord thinks about me. But I also do care what other people think about me because that's part of my witness and testimony. I don't go around being a people pleaser. I don't go around trying to make everybody happy. I focus on Christ and Christ alone. But part of my testimony, be it you at work or at school or church, whatever it is, is you do want to have that good testimony to those who are on the outside to be a light and witness. That is part of what we do and God has asked us to do that not only as leadership but also just as Christians in general so as you go through this list here in verses 1 through 7 to serve in any capacity is a beautiful honorable precious thing God asks you to stretch yourself beyond your comfort zone to make those sacrifices and it's also work don't ever forget that but the blessing that comes out of it to make an eternal difference Boy, guys and gals, that's what we're here for, is to make an eternal difference. And if you look at these attributes in verses 2 through 7, these are good attributes for all of us to strive for, to say, okay, God, that's the type of man and woman in the Lord that I want to be. So next ones now, jump down to verse 8, deals with the concept of deacons. It says in verse 8, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, obviously have a God-centered focus, not double-tongued, watching what they say, Not given to much wine. Note that it looks like from uh, verse 3 to verse 8, there's a little bit of a difference there in the wording. Verse 3, not given to wine. Deacons are not given to much wine. Uh, Not greedy for money. We've covered that before. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. That's kind of a funky little saying. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. What that just literally means is that no matter where you serve, there needs to be that biblical understanding Truth. A lot of times, once again, people have this concept, of, well, I don't need to know the deep truths of Scripture. That's the pastor's job. He teaches. Or, you know what, he or she sure serves out there at church back in the Sunday school classrooms or there or whatever. It's their job to know that stuff. No. The word deacon literally just means servant. As servants of God, we need to have an understanding of the faith. That's one thing that's really lacking in Christianity today is understanding the basics of Christianity, of salvation, of heaven and hell, of sin. We, we know a lot of little truths, but do we understand the concept of who God is and what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ? It's so important to have that. Verse 10, but let these also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. The word deacon here is really a title because the word deacon literally means servant. We're all deacons to an extent of serving. Now, we have deacons out here at church that have that title, but to be quite honest, we have a lot of people that are serving in that same capacity. There's so much service that goes on out here what happens is you come in on a Sunday morning and the lights are on the air is on the heat's on whatever and you know you see the worship you see me get up and that's what your attention and focus is my goodness there's people that clean the church on a regular basis if no one signs up to clean the church people still clean the church there's people that mow the yard there's people that make sure the bills are paid there's people that turn the lights on that shut down the lights there's so much service that goes on, and that is what the church is built on, is that quiet group of people that behind the scenes, not looking for attention, just get stuff done. As we've said numerous times, we're sitting in here quietly, nicely listening to the teaching. There's probably 20, 30 people in the back taking care of close to 100 kids back there right now. Serving. What a blessing it is to have those people that are willing to serve. First 10, they need to be blameless, which we've talked about. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well, which, we once again, we've covered all that area before. For those who have served well as deacons, attain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Turn if you go to Acts 6 real quick. Let's build on this concept of deacons because I think sometimes people get a little confused. We're talking about elders, pas- pastors, bishops. Okay, I got that. Now deacons, you know, what's the difference here? Acts chapter 6, please. Really what you see is, and this is oversimplifying, Pastors, elders, bishops, etc., they take care of the spiritual matters of the church. Deacons take care of the physical matters of the church. Now, once again, that's an oversimplification because it makes it sound like then the pastors never do anything physical. Oh, I can't clean the church. I'm the pastor. I can't, I can't help somebody move. I'm the pastor. And it sounds like the deacons don't do anything spiritual. Oh, Don't ask me a question about God. I just work here. No, that's not what it's saying. That's an oversimplification. But what you see here in Acts chapter 6 is you do see these roles and this balance. You do need people that take care of the spiritual matters, and you need people that take care of the physical matters. Look in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says that now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Real quick background here. What was happening is the church was young. There was a lot of widows that needed their needs met. So the Jews were going out and ministering to these widows. Good godly example. problem is there was a group of widows that were called Hellenists, which means they were Greeks. But what happens is the Jews were saying, we're not helping the Greeks. See, you think turmoil and infighting and bickering is a 21st century concept in the church. no. 2,000 years ago, they still can't get along because of sin nature. So what happened is the widows weren't being taken care of. Well, then the 12, verse 2, the 12 apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, the first time I ever heard that, I thought cocky of these apostles that's the first way i took it you know who are we you know we're not going to stop what we're doing just to go serve tables and take care of that you guys take care of the serving the tables because we need to focus on prayer and fasting makes them sound so ultra spiritual doesn't it we can't dirty our hands doing work like that you guys do that so that way we can sit up here in our nice clothes and just pray and fast over people that's the way i first took it That's not the way it is in any way whatsoever. What God is saying is there's people that take care of spiritual matters and there's people that take care of physical matters. They're all vitally important. Look at the result of this. Verse 6, they lay hands on him and pray for him. Then verse 7, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Fruit came out of this system. See, the way it works is God has called me to be the pastor. God says you are spiritually responsible for this church. If I show up tomorrow to church... And I see that the church needs cleaned. Okay, I'll clean the church today. All right, you know, it looks like the yard needs mowed. I'll go ahead and mow the yard. Oh, nope, that person now has uh, something broken over there at the house. I should probably go over and try to fix that. If all my time is spent taking care of those physical things, who's going to do the marriage counseling? Who's going to do the discipleship? Who's going to go visit the people in the hospital? Who's going to go do that? God has called me to help take care of the spiritual. It's not that those physical things are important. Those are vitally important. But you have people that help take care of the spiritual and help take care of the physical. So what happens is I can use my time then to pray for people, prepare lessons, do discipleships, do counselings, meet with people. I can spend my time focusing on the spiritual needs of the church because I know there's a group of men and women out here serving in that capacity, taking care of the physical needs. Once again, it's not a cockiness. It doesn't mean if someone says, hey, can you help me move? I'm sorry, it's not spiritual enough. I'll send somebody else. No, if I can, I'll try to go there and try to help. But at the same time, too, it also doesn't mean the flip side. If somebody's out here cleaning the church and someone comes out and says, hey, I have some questions about harvest. Oh, don't ask me about God. I just run the sweeper. No. There's, there's a balance there of we both work together interchangeably, but the Lord says, hey, I like how it says in verse 4, we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. You want that balance. And I tell you, it's very, very freeing. You don't want me taking care of the physical needs of the church. I'm not good at that. I'll use the example of car care. Car care ministry is coming up here in a couple weeks, and I really, what a blessing it is to have these guys come out and do the free oil changes, service checks. What a wonderful blessing it is. first car care that we did um, they let me do some stuff. I actually crawled into the car and tried to work on the filter and, and, and unplug the oil thing. And after the first one, they said, you know what, why don't you do this? So they, they had me check tire pressures. And I did tire pressures and filled up tires. And after that one, they said, well, why don't you next time, why don't you be the one to drive the car up down the ramp? So I drove the car up and down. And then by the time the fourth one came around, they said, you know what, there's this little piece of paper that we have people sign. they said, why don't you just hand out the papers to um, people? And by the fifth car care, Jason said, you know what, really don't need you. Um... And that's okay. I'm not called to do that stuff. And so while there's going to be on Saturday the 25th or whenever car care is, there's going to be a group of guys out there getting dirty, getting their hands dirty, and out there changing oils and stuff like that, I'll probably be inside working on the message. And there's nothing wrong with that because that shows where the Lord has called the different people to do in the church is blessed. The church is blessed that way. The spiritual is taken care of, the physical is taken care of, and then as it says in verse 7, the word of God spreads. That's the way it's supposed to be. Remember, our key passages here in the book of 1 Timothy, which we're not going to get to this week, but I'm just going to share it to you real quick. 1 Timothy 3, look at verse 15. I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. God says this is how the church supposed to work. You take care of the spiritual. You take care of the physical. God raises up the people to meet those needs. You have strong, godly leadership that hopefully is following those passages there of what it means to be a blameless and a good husband and taking care of the family. Then you also have these people also being these great servants. See, the problem is too much emphasis gets placed on the role of the pastor. You don't want that much emphasis on a man. That man's going to fall and stumble. And if you put that guy up on a pedestal, when he falls, he's going to fall right on top of you. That's not what you want. There is so much that goes on out here and so much vision. If you're relying solely on the pastor to set the vision and the spiritual tone of the church, you're really missing out. I I just think about all the different events that have happened. You know, we're going to be on our 13th year of doing VBS out here. That wasn't my vision. Someone came up to us 12 years ago and said, hey, we should do a VBS. Sounds great. You know, the car care ministry. Someone came up you know, years ago and said, hey, we should do this. Sounds great. Garage sale giveaway coming up in a couple weeks. That came out of a prayer time. We had a prayer time up here after church, and someone said, hey, we should do this. We should just do a garage sale, but we just give it all away. Sounds great. That's the way the body is supposed to work is that these ideas come, the, these suggestions come through the Spirit. You're praying for the church. You're praying for guidance and direction. And, and as we do this, we come together as a body to say, how can we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? Too often, as we said in our study here through 1 Timothy, the church has become this almost pat-on-the-back country club. we church. The purpose of you coming here on Sunday morning is to be edified and encouraged. That way when you go out into the world, you can tell other people about the Lord. Now granted, there are going to be people that come on a Sunday morning that aren't saved. And so we always do want to mention the fact that Jesus is the Savior and he died for your sins. But the main emphasis of church is to encourage you, uplift you, so that way you go out in the world and you make a difference where you work and where you live for God. What good does it do to come here and sit for an hour and a half and leave and have nothing change in our lives? Oh, we don't need any more lukewarm believers. We need people on fire for Christ that want to see their homes and their lives and their schools and their business places changed. This world is dying and hurting, and Jesus is the answer. Turn, if you will, to Titus chapters 1 and 2, and this is what we're going to finish with. Titus 1 and 2 is kind of the the, uh, exclamation point on the message because we're all called to serve. Titus 1 and 2 is we're all called to serve here. Actually, our bookmarks from uh, chapter 3 of First Timothy, as you're going to Titus 1 and 2. The first verse we talked about was desiring a good work. And the last passage there about deacons, it says, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. But what Paul is writing there through the Spirit is, hey, as you serve, what a blessing it is. Look at those bookmarks. To, to serve, it's work. You're going to get your hands dirty. It's going to be messy. It's going to be tough. It's a sacrifice. You're going to stretch yourself. It's going to be tough. That's beautiful, it's precious, it's honorable. And then what's it say about deacons? It's a good thing. Boy, oh, I tell you, to get involved and serve is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And do not let Satan get in there in any way whatsoever and say, well, I don't know where I'm supposed to serve. What can I do? There are so many places to get involved. There's always something that you can do. Never let the enemy plant that thought in your head. And if you really want to get involved and you don't know where... Come talk to us we'll have you pray about some areas and there's always a place to get involved but this way i want to finish with Titus 1 and 2 we've covered a good chunk of this look at verse 5 it says for this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you the way God has set up the church he wants it to run effectively with good solid spiritual leadership that's lacking if that's lacking that needs to be addressed verse 6 we've covered a lot of this if a man is blameless the husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed. That's not about us, guys. It's about the Lord. Not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable. A lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, having fast the faithful words as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, we've covered a lot of that. A lot of times we just stop there and say, well, what? It's the pastor's job. He takes care of the church. Yeah, but jump ahead to Titus chapter 2 now. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Okay, older men out here today, That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. Guys, that's what you're called to do. What about the older women? Verse 3, the older women likewise, they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. What about the young men? Verse 6, likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Boy, wouldn't that be a great testimony? That somebody would come up and say, hey, I can't stand you, I can't think of one bad thing to say about you. Why oh, Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony? Because too often, if you go to your enemies and say, hey, what bad things can you say about me? They'd probably say, how much time do you have? How wouldn't it be nice that someone could say, you know what? I just can't stand you, but I can't think of anything evil to say about you. That'd be a wonderful testimony. Titus chapter 2 shows how the church is also supposed to work. And I encourage you, whatever place you're in, the older man, the older woman, the younger man, the younger woman, you have a place, you have a role of service in ministry. Yes, prayer is important. Yes, being in the Word, worship, evangelism, fellowship, all those are great pillars of your walk with the Lord. But ministry and service, as we've said out here numerous times, every member is a minister minister just means to serve every person in the church has a place to get involved and serve and you know what we can't force you into that and i don't want to make it sound like we're desperate that's not what it is we want you to be a full complete christian in the lord getting involved working those spiritual muscles and as you do that you will realize you're making a difference for all of eternity what an absolute blessing that is are if you want to come forward here for the final song I just want to remind everybody there's gonna be a time for uh,